The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 155 of the Book of Mormon podcast. Kevin and Shelby coming back at you. Hey everyone. With another episode, another chapter in the Book of Mormon. Here we go. A new year. Yeah, it is a new year. How exciting. And a new, I don't know, section of (laughs) this. Basically, Helaman, the Book of Helaman, broken up into two parts the first half one through six talks about the people of nephi and their i guess descent into corruption right and then chapters and not just the nephi's nephites descent into corruption but the lamanites repentance and you know, looking to Jesus Christ and and many of them being converted. Well, then chapters seven through the rest of the of the book, 16. 16, is an attempt to correct those issues in the church among the, the Lord's covenant people prior to his coming. Yeah, because chapter 7, the timeline starts at 23 to 21 BC. So we know, because we have the scriptures, <laughs> that this is very, not very long until Christ actually comes. So, Well, let's go ahead and dive in. All right, let's do it. So Nephi, he is the son of Helaman. He returns to the land of Zarahemla. From the land northward. And so he gives a little recap in the next few verses of what happened in the land northward. And then we'll find out what happened in the land of Zarahemla when he got back. So in the land northward, he preached the word of God and he prophesied a lot of things. But in verse three, it says they did reject all his words in so much that he could not stay among them, but returned again into the land of his nativity. And if we remember, the land northward was where a lot of Nephites decided to to leave. They decided to, hey, we don't really like what's going on down here in Zarahemla. We are going to go into the land northward. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to become prosperous, make some cement buildings. And so, so if I may, that was Haggith, right? Mm-hmm. He was the one that uh, took and built the ships and sailed northward, correct? Well, yes. Um, but I think I, Haggith also sailed to parts unknown. True. As that, well. That as well. Okay. Sorry. But no, he, yeah, that was, that was kind of the legacy of, of people going north. They, they just kind of completely broke away from Zarahemla and the Nephite nation. He's back in Zarahemla and he sees the people in an awful state of wickedness. 
And he goes on to describe this wickedness in verses like four and five. And I actually highlighted each thing or each saying that Nephi shared was going on in like different colors. And it's pretty colorful. It's like a rainbow in my scriptures right now. So they were doing a lot of things. So I thought maybe we could list them and then we will have plenty of time to continue talking about them in the chapters. So the Gadian robbers are filling the judgment seats, which means that they have taken over the power and authority of the land. Uh, they're laying aside the commandments of God and they're not giving justice unto the children of man. So they're not doing anything right. They're condemning the righteous because they're being righteous. They are letting the wicked go unpunished because they're bribing them with money. Uh, more, they are also um, being held in office to rule and do what they would like to do, so to their own will. They're trying to get gain of the glory in the world so that they can more easily do wickedness like committing adultery, stealing, and killing. And ultimately, if you could just sum it all up, it's so they can do whatever they want to do and make it, quote unquote, right and legal. So that's a little bit of what they're doing, which is a lot actually, but there it is summed up in a little paragraph for you. Yeah, and I actually uh, referenced it back to Helaman chapter 5, verse 2. It says, For as their laws and their governments were established by the voice of the people, and they chose evil, excuse me, and they who chose evil were more numerous than they who chose good, therefore they were ripening for destruction, for their laws had become corrupted. We talked a little bit about that in chapter 5, but that was quite a while ago. I don't remember all what we said, but there there is something about corruption that Nephi he he recognizes and he really he really goes hard in this chapter about addressing that corruption of the people, you know, of the government, you know, the highest level and how that has, you know, led to this deterioration of, of, you know, not only, I guess, the people's well-being, but also their, their covenant relationship with God. That's a good point. And because of all of that, well, hold on real quick. Nephi says he, he makes sure to point out that this had not happened in the space of, quote unquote, not many years. Yeah, I mean, he's only been gone for about six years. I think it's six years. I actually went back to chapter five to look at the timeline there, and it was 30 BC. Hmm. And so if we're in chapter seven here, um, around 23 BC, that's six years, if my math is correct. So anyway, he is he is just can you, just imagine how Nephi is feeling. <laughs> he's been rejected, he's been trying to preach the word, and then he comes back to Zarahemla and it's the same thing he got there's stuff going on in his own homeland and so he's just it says his heart was swollen with sorrow within his breast and he did exclaim in the agony of his soul so he goes on to share just his thoughts like 
it really puts us in his shoes. I have felt a little bit of what he felt on my mission with certain, you know, friends of mine. And it's, it's hard. And so he is exclaiming here, really starting in verse seven, I would say, that he wishes he could have been um, with his father Nephi in, in the very beginning when they first came to the land of Jerusalem and how he could have been with him and had joyous because the people were easy to be entreated, is what he says, firm to keep the commandments of God and slow to be led to do iniquity. And they were quick to hearken unto the words of the Lord. And so he just is wanting to, you know, if he could have been in that time, he would have had all this joy um, that he could have been rejoicing in brother into brother and in and, and, and Zion. But that is not his state or his call. He says, I am consigned that these are my days, that my soul shall be filled with sorrow because of this, the wickedness of my brethren. Well, there's two things, two thoughts that I had. First, he knows that it is his lot. Yeah. To be in this time. To be the one that has to preach repentance and then fill the sorrow because they're rejecting you. Right. Yeah. Well, they're not rejecting him. They're rejecting the Savior. Sure. That's and important to point out because he's just a mouthpiece of the Lord. Right. He does represent the Lord. Um, which we could talk more about that, but I don't want to right now. I, I instead, I want to talk about this, this feeling that he has, you know, would that he could live back when things seemed so much better. We sometimes get caught up in, in doing that too, kind of with rose-colored glasses, looking back on, you know, the the times of old. I don't look back at the pioneers and wish I were them. <laughs> no, but I bet you look back to, you know, the the Kirkland Temple dedication and the marvelous works of the of the lord you know the angels coming to minister to people it's just it's cool you know it's like man those people seem to get it they must have because angels were coming down to them the lord was appearing to people but those were only a few people those were only a select few people who got to to experience those things and with that being said I followed the link, the hyperlink here in verse 7 under uh, Joyed. And it goes back to 2 Nephi chapter 5 and verses 26 through 28. And it talks about that time that Nephi here in the book of Helaman is uh, you know, recalling. It says, and it came to pass that I, Nephi... This is Nephi number one, right? I, Nephi, did consecrate Jacob and Joseph that they should be priests and teachers over the land of my people. And it came to pass that we lived after the manner of happiness. And 30 years had passed away since the time we left Jerusalem. So that puts it into perspective of timeline. But that manner of happiness and the reason that they were able to live in that, you know, after the manner of happiness 
is because they separated themselves from people who would have led them to corruption, who would have, uh, you know, destroyed the church if it had been attempted to be built, right? So that that's the difference. Helaman, uh, Helaman's son, Nephi, he's living in a time where nobody took that, that courageous stance against corruption and wickedness. And instead, they allowed it to creep in. They allowed it to, to stay and have dinner with them, right? And be amongst them. And they went from just tolerating it to accepting it, right? Meanwhile, Nephi, back in 2 Nephi, his decision was we have to leave and, and separate ourselves from these people Otherwise, they're going to kill us, or we're going to become just like them. I don't even know what to follow up after that. That was just so much. It was so good. I appreciate your thoughts. It was just the the spirit taught me a little bit of something right then uh, as I studied in preparation for this chapter. I like that study tip right there. So... I'll just continue with the narrative. <laughs> um, at this point, he is on a tower. We're in verse 10, uh, which he says is by the Garden of Nephi, which I found that interesting. Little, little uh, side insight into their maybe layout there. That there's a Garden of Nephi. And basically, he goes to pray upon this tower about how he's feeling, everything we just talked about. And as he's doing this, it says there were certain men passing by and they saw him pouring out his soul in this tower. And Nephi sees this, you know, he gets up and this is in verse 13. He says, behold, why have you gathered yourselves together that I may tell you of your iniquities? And that's a question. He says, yea, because I have got upon my tower that I might pour out my soul into my God because of the exceeding sorrow of my heart, which is because of your iniquities. And so at this point, he starts to go really hard on the iniquities, a lot of which we talked about earlier, uh, where we briefly summarized them when I talked about it being a rainbow. Um, those he, he starts to go into all these things. And there are plenty of places we can go off in tangents. Uh, but I think maybe we'll just talk about a few of them and then keep going. But at this point, the people are listening to him. They're gathered around him in the land of Zarahemla, around the garden or by the garden of Nephi on this tower. And here Nephi goes. So any thoughts before we move on, Kev? I think it's important to know or to remember that Nephi is speaking to Nephites, right? People, the the covenant people, they know what they have done, and they know that it's contrary to the commandments of the Lord. Again, not many years have passed away. It's not like generations have gone by, and these are the grandchildren of faithful members of the church, and they just they don't know any better. So the questions that he asks them 
for example, um, how could you have given way to the enticing of him who is seeking to hurl away your souls down to everlasting misery and endless woe? That's not something you can tell someone who doesn't know who he is right. or what a soul is or what the consequences of hurling away your own soul, right? And also, you can't say that to somebody who doesn't know what misery is. These people are the descendants of an oppressed people, right? People who have seen warfare and been oppressed by, uh, you know, hostile, hostile occupation and even civil unrest. And so, you know, he's, he's speaking very intimately to the people here in, in Zarahemla. And I love that he talks about, he starts with the heart. He says, the devil has got so great hold upon your hearts. And something in my personal studies that I, and even our state president, um, President Davies has said, you know, how is your heart? What is going on with your heart? Because we know, you know, where your desires lie or in your heart and your desires become your thoughts and your thoughts become your actions. And so here he is saying that somewhere along this way, the, the devil got a hold of your heart and the only way that you can escape this now and, and turn, he says, turny, turny unto the Lord, your God is through repentance. And repentance is that thing that we hear all the time. And President Nelson has invited us to repent constantly every day. And that's something I want to get better at in this new year, 2023. However, I say all that to say that repentance, he repeats it over and over till the end of this chapter. He says, repent ye, repent ye, or oh, that you would repent. And that's the key here to all, even though he goes into all these iniquities and what they're about and how, you know, how have you forgotten and all these things, he keeps saying, but you can turn back, you can repent. And I think that's so important to remember because we can almost look at it as doom and gloom. Oh. Wow, these people, my goodness, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it's important, I would say, to remember that he is constantly inviting them to repent throughout this um, sermon, I guess. And so. Yeah, they have a they have a choice still yeah right they've they've made the choice to um provoke the lord you know provoke him and uh and and kindle his wrath they also have the choice to repent now before it's too late and he talks about that he says you know except you repent he will instead of gathering you He'll scatter you forth. And we know that that is inevitably what happens to the Lord's people in this land. They, they're, they're scattered because they, they don't stay true to the, the covenants. Now, I also want to say, before we move on, uh, Nephi puts a real fine point on it. You know, he asks all these questions like, how could you do this? And why would you do this? But he then answers 
the question because he sees it. He sees very clearly what has caused them to, to choose iniquity. In verse 21, But behold, it is to get gain, to be praised of men, yea, and that you might get gold and silver. He goes on to say, And you have set your hearts upon the riches and the vain things of this world. And for for the which, right? That's that's what you're trying to get, and your tool to get it is to murder and plunder and steal and bear false witness against your neighbor and do all manner of iniquity. So it, it really is a heart problem. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, something, I give a little shout out to our friend, Paul Anderson here. Um, I wanted to read some of his thoughts from Helaman 7, the verses we just talked about, 20 through 22. And do you want to say his his blog? Yes, it's bookofmormonstudynotes.blog. 100% go check it out. Because actually, fun fact, there was nothing in the church Book of Mormon student manual on this. So we went over to Paul to see some of his thoughts. And they're perfectly in line with the apostles and prophets. So I wanted to read something he said about this forgetting. How could you forget? And just bear with me because it is a it is a little long, but it's really good. He says, how did this happen so quickly? As Nephi explains, um, it was because they'd forgotten their God. But how could they forget him when he had recently delivered them from their enemies? Now, this is me inserting this. Remember, he says this happened not in the space of many years. So here we go. And he says, they were distracted by the pursuit of wealth, their desires to get gain. They had fallen into the trap the Savior called the deceitfulness of riches accumulating more and more and more money in the mistaken belief that it can provide intangible benefits such as respect, acceptance, and love. And then he says, he quotes President Dieter F. Uchtdorf from a talk called Of Things That Matter Most. And it says, I think most of us intuitively understand how important the fundamentals are. It is just that we sometimes get distracted by so many things that seem more enticing. Printed material, wide-ranging media sources, electronic tools and gadgets, all all helpful if used properly, can become hurtful diversions or heartless chambers of isolation. Yet amidst the multitude of voices and choices, the humble man of Galilee stands with his hands outstretched, waiting. His is a simple message. Come follow me. And so I bring this up to share that they forget because they get distracted from the more important things. They think, oh, it's okay. I'm not going to read my scriptures today. But they do that over and over and over and over. And then the reading their scriptures got replaced with, I think I want to find a way to make more money. And I'm just going to do that. And then I'll read my scriptures later. And then before you know it, they've completely forgotten about their scriptures and they find out oh, these people are getting money because they are doing ABC. And so that's how I got to get money because I got to get gain. I got to look good for these people. Got to get my, you know, anyway. And so that's just a little side interpretation of how I see it happening. Um, And it was just very insightful. So thank you, Brother Anderson. Yeah, and maybe to just put, put a cap on that or like to summarize that, in my own words, you know, riches became their God. It became what they were 
devoting all their time and energy toward um you know we we hear all the time the the dichotomy that money and the pursuit of money is not in and of itself evil or a bad thing it's necessary to have money and the more money you have the more you can bless others if you worship a god in heaven and and his son Jesus Christ who who you know whose love is synonymous with charity mm-hmm. here on earth so i just wanted to say that thank you as we continue nephi brings up those lamanites who seem to be doing better who who are more righteous at this time than the nephites and he says that it shall be better for the lamanites than you except you shall repent for behold they are more righteous than you for they have not sinned against the great knowledge which ye have received again he's addressing people who are covenant people not far removed from the gospel of jesus christ but intimately familiar with the covenants and commandments that they need to be keeping. They partook of them. They, they did. made them. <laughs> they made the covenants, yes. These are people who believed them at one point and lived them. Yes. It's crazy to think about. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just wanted to, I know you started the chapter off like that, but here we are. That's why it's worse for them than it is the Lamanites. I don't know. It, I don't know what's going on in my brain there and why that's so fascinating to me, but they they once knew, and now they've not. Now they've decided, eh, no. Well, Nephi then goes on in the same verse, verse 24, to, to explain something very interesting. And this goes back to ensuring a righteous judgment, which I believe was the, the talk, ensuring a righteous judgment, was in April of 2020. I, I will look it up. Ensuring a righteous judgment. Yes, April of 2020. And That's a fantastic talk. Definitely go listen to it. We will put it in the show notes for you. The reason that I bring that up is that I, at the time, got super interested in this idea of ensuring righteous judgment. The Book of Mormon itself ensures a righteous judgment because it um, it is a gathering tool. It's a tool of the restoration of the gospel. It, you know, it provides that compelling witness of Jesus Christ and that he does speak to ordained servants, apostles today. But Nephi here talks about how the Lord will be merciful unto the Lamanites. Yea, he will lengthen out their days and increase their seed, even when thou, the Nephites, shall be utterly destroyed, except they, except thou shalt repent. Which is exactly what he does, right? The Nephites only have a short amount of time to figure this out and choose to follow Jesus Christ. Um, you know, relatively speaking because they have about another what like 600 years or so or 400 years sorry 
they have in well i'm just going to the end of the book of mormon timeline okay. like 420 yeah. ad right yeah. right now they only have about 20 years before the lord comes and then another 30 before he comes and visits them so about 50 years until the lord is in their midst and so a very short amount of time can i say something really sure. quick it's it's a short you may think oh that's a long time 50 years like i i even thought that i was like 50 years is pretty long but what's important about this is that they correct themselves so the next generation knows. Yes. It's a generational thing here. Yeah. And so I just wanted to point that out. No, for sure. And then the Nephites, if they don't figure it out quickly, they'll be cut off and destroyed by the Lamanites. And the Lamanites actually have a lot longer to figure it out. Even though the Lamanites are the ones who destroy the Nephites, they, they're they not held to that same uh, accountability because they've, they don't know. They, they've not sinned against that great knowledge which the Nephites have received. And so as their posterity, although they may be living wickedly, they don't know it. They don't, they don't have the same understanding of it. They didn't progress as far as the Nephites progressed in their knowledge yet. Right. That's why they're given more time to be able to learn and grow precept upon precept. They can't just know all the things at once, right? Think of the way you've obtained your gospel knowledge. I am 28, and what I know at 28 is not what I knew at 18, right? So it that's a reason also for the lengthening out of their days. Anything else you wanted to say? I know I kind of no. interjected there. No. Okay. I just, again, wanted to point out here in verse 28, And except ye repent, ye shall perish. Yet even your land shall be taken from you, and ye shall be destroyed from off the face of the earth. And then he says, Nephi says something very insightful. He says, I do not say that these things shall be of myself. In plain language, he says, I'm not saying this because I want to say this. I'm saying this because I know these things, because the Lord hath made them known unto me. And that is why I'm testifying that they should be. And so I think that's really important to remember because these people could honestly make an argument. We know they probably would make an argument back that you're just saying this because you, da, 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 like throw it back on him. And he makes sure here at the end to say, no. I am not doing this for myself. In fact, I'm sorrowing. You you came to me mourning in sorrow when you heard me praying to my heavenly father. Like, I am not doing this because I want to. I'm doing this because the Lord has told me what's to come, except you repent. And in the next chapter, that that is actually what happens to they the corrupt judges come and try to attack the character of Nephi and incite the people against him. Mm-hmm. Um, all because of his testimony, his mm-hmm. testimony against them. Which, if I may, First uh, Nephi chapter 16, verse 2, the wicked taketh the truth to be hard. And so anytime, all he's stating is truth and inviting to repent, but yet 
that's a hurtful thing here and that's mean and they're angry right and so we see that here and and as we go into chapter eight well and it also threatens their uh, livelihood right it threatens mm-hmm. them and and their comfortable existence and and you know the the riches that they've obtained and, and built up you know their god yep is now at risk because it cannot stand against the true God of Israel. So this thought just came to my head, and I think it's because of um, posterity's sake, but I wanted to share what I shared with you on the way to church today because it's, it goes exactly with building up your own God and being your own God. Uh, I'm a part of a Facebook page in our area, and a lot of times moms will post, it's a mom page, <laughs> and they'll post and they'll ask for church recommendations because a lot of people will join it who are moving here. But, and always I will go onto the, the post and I will, you know, find the meeting house tool and I'll link it and I'll say, here you go. You can find your local, you know, church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I'll share that way. And then I'll go add them and message them. And sometimes they message me back and sometimes they don't. But this particular post right off the bat, (laughs) she said, please no LDS suggestions And then she put in parentheses, we love you guys, but it's not for us. And then she then proceeded to put an entire list of requirements that she has for a church. And this list was like 15 bullet points long. And I read them and I thought, and I know this is really bold to say, I'm just going to say it. But I thought, who are you to tell God what you want in a church? Because God is all-knowing and God is omniscient. And who are you to go to him and say, I want this, 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 this. And it just really rubbed me the wrong way. And it really showed me the state of how some people view religion. They want it to be convenient to them. Right. Well, maybe not unspoken, but she did say, there are certain things that I don't want, Mm -hmm. right? I exclude these things, but I, I require these things. And if you don't have them or if you don't have enough of them, then I'm not going there. Which is why I think she stated she didn't want the LDS church at the very beginning. And, you know, there's, I know she's not the only one and I'm sure she's a great person, but it was just this principle I found. I'm not judging her. I'm just judging what I saw. And I just thought, man, this is, and I'm seeing reflections of that today in the chapter, right? This, they're being threatened because now they can't do what they want to do and make their own requirements. So that's a threat and we got to do something about it. So. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, great, great podcast. Good yeah, this, this was a great one. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, as always, we appreciate you all joining the conversation. You can shoot us a message on Facebook personally or to at the book of Mormon podcast on Instagram. That's where you can find all of our awesome content that Shelby puts out uh, very, very faithfully, very dutifully each week. I try. I try guys. I did not get my degree in social media management or anything like that. So I'm just learning, but We are, nevertheless, we're glad that you found us and that you listened, and we hope that you come back. We'll talk to you next time. Bye, y'all. 
My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life.